Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. month of martyrdom and we have journeyed from St. Stephen in the scriptures through Joan of Arc historically. Last week we spoke about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the first martyr to be recognized by the United Methodist Church, and today we will talk about the second. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was recognized officially as a martyr by the United Methodist Church at General Conference in Tampa, Florida in 2012. And we recognize him because, first, he was a Christian. We often forget that. Sometimes his name is truncated, and we forget that he wasn't just a highly educated man, a doctor, but he was a reverend, ordained in the American Baptist denomination, and he served in the local church. He had a flock. He was a shepherd to a congregation, and there he became entrenched in not only their lives, but their struggles. One of the gifts of being clergy is that you come to know a people often as deeply and profoundly as you know yourself and your loved ones. And when you do that, you are immersed in their lives, the good and the painful. You see not only the celebrations, but the struggles and the suffering. And as we do that, God encourages us to address those things, not only in sermons and in prayers, but in our ministries and our mission work, that we are called to acknowledge and seek to have Christ change that which brings pain and suffering, not only to us as individual Christians, but us as the body of Christ and us as a community where the body of Christ is situated. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. understood this. It was modeled and rooted deeply within Scripture. It was something that he had been raised in the church to see, and it was something that he felt called to. He felt that his work as clergy would be incomplete if he turned a blind eye to the reality that he not only experienced as an African-American, as a non-white person in America, but what his congregation, which was mostly African-American, were experiencing every moment they stepped out the doors of their sanctuary. He was driven to consider how the gospel of Jesus Christ might impact the world that brought so much pain and suffering to his people. And he did this through an incredible thing. He used his faith. There are many ways in which you can make change in the world, and history is full of things that we probably shouldn't be regularly repeating. Times when we have used warfare and violence, times when we have cast off and cut aside entire demographics. There are times in the world where we have relied upon the strength of the sword rather than the strength of the word. And he rejected that. So who was the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr.? a highly educated and thoughtful man. He was educated in three different colleges, and he had received his first bachelor's in sociology. Then he went on and got a bachelor's in divinity from Crozer Theological Seminary. 
There, he went on to Boston University, which, by the way, has a United Methodist Seminary. And there, he got his doctorate in systematic theology, which I know all of you will immediately sign up for courses in systematic theology as soon as I tell you what it's about. Systematic theology was a courageous attempt by theologians to create a unified, cohesive, rational, thoughtful way of putting together this vast amount of doctrine and theology that we have in the world. I'm sure you've had occasions where you thought to yourself, okay, I understand this, but how does that work with this? And they don't seem to be united. They seem to be disconnected and sometimes actually working in opposition to each other. And along the lines of the theological concepts of apologetics, trying to explain some mysteries, out came systematic theology. And some of the greatest theologians in Christendom consider themselves to be systematic theologians. And one of the things that they utilized was the rational mind. And considering how we should approach not only scripture and doctrine, but the world through this gift that God has given us of being able to think and to consider and to prayerfully discern. And so Martin Luther King Jr. did that. He came to the idea that if he searched the scriptures, if he prayerfully discerned, if he worked in the midst of the body of Christ, that God would do a new thing. That God would be able to change the reality, which was very ugly and painful where his people came and they heard the gospel that said you were worth dying for. But then they walked out of the doors and they heard you are nothing. You are less than. You are unworthy to be our equal. And the tension and the pain of that started to overshadow everything else. He could no longer sit by quietly and let that go. So he started an immense journey working. He didn't just run right out and decide to tackle this issue. This is a huge issue, a long-standing hundreds and hundreds, if not even thousands of years, because society throughout time and all over the continents and through all different cultures has often created systems and hierarchies and divisions. It creates categories, those who are in and those who are out, those who are over and those who are below. And consistently throughout time, we recognize that sin plays into this because it feels really good to know that you are not on the bottom. That there, there has to be somebody suffering more than me right now. There has to be somebody who is even farther down on this hierarchy than I am. Somebody that can make me feel like, well, at least I'm not that bad. But the gospel says that is not true. The gospel of Jesus Christ says that I will overturn all of this. That Christ will transform society. That Christ will make a new order. One where the first is last and the last is first. One where there is no separation. Where everyone is united by the one thing that can overcome all. And that is God. That was what inspired Martin Luther King Jr. That is the hope to which he clung. That the words the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians were true. They had become obsessed with separatism. There were those who had gone the Judaic way into Christendom. And then there were these Gentiles. And maybe the Gentiles needed to first become Jews so that they could become Christians. Try to do that in one day. And it was upsetting and it was causing division. And there were people who were going, well, I was Jewish first. So therefore, I'm a better Christian than you are. 
And Paul said, you're missing the point. The point wasn't that you are higher than anyone else. The point is that Christ brought us all to equality. That all of the divisions, and you can see the ones that were really causing pain in Galatia. Right? The ones that he took the time to articulate specifically. The fact that there were Jews and Greeks before Jesus. That before Jesus, there were slaves and free people, but no more. We were all set free by the Savior. And then the idea that we were subdivided into male and female. And Paul fought back against that. We are not divided. We are united. We are empowered. We have been equalized. Those who could find themselves above, willing to stand shoulder to shoulder with others, lifting them up out of the depths to which society had plunged them, willing to raise people up in the name of Jesus Christ so that they could see the glory of the bright and beautiful future that Christ had paved for them with his suffering so that we should not. And all of that was given to us. And so in the 50s and the 60s, when Martin Luther King Jr. looked around and he saw the pain and the suffering of his people. He felt that he had to act. But what should that action look like? How do you speak to the world the truth not only of Galatians, but of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? How do you speak the truth of the prophets, everyone from Isaiah to Habakkuk to Nehemiah? How do you speak that truth in this world? He did it by first gathering together with other Christians. And figuring out what that might look like. If you could envision a way that we could peacefully transform the world, what might that look like? He reached out to another Christian from a different denomination. A good Quaker reached out to Bayard Rustin. And together, they started to develop the nonviolent approach that Martin Luther King Jr. became known for. That we weren't going to take up arms. We weren't going to perpetuate the violence that had been used to subjugate African Americans. That instead, we were going to model ourselves after the Prince of Peace. Because when his apostles picked up swords the night that he was betrayed and arrested, and they took a swing at the guard, Jesus said, put down your sword. This is not our way. And that resonated for them. That the change was so important that they couldn't taint it with blood. That instead, they had to rely upon the only blood that could truly transform, and that is Jesus Christ. And we don't have to spill that. That was poured out freely for all of us. And one of the things that he did was he gave these speeches. But brothers and sisters, I confess to you that this morning, in lieu of my normal habit of turning on the radio and listening to Christian music as I get ready, starting at 5.30 in the morning for you all, as I start getting ready this morning, I thought, you know what, I'm going to do something different. And I started playing all of the recordings of Martin Luther King Jr. And as I'm getting ready and I'm listening, and I've heard these all before, I had an entire semester of social justice in seminary. I've read these, I've listened to them, I've watched footage in black and white of all things. I've seen these things. This is old hat. This shouldn't be so crazy. But something happened this morning. This morning, I was in preparation for worship. I was on the Lord's day, and I was getting myself ready as I would for any holy moment. I was already in the midst of my fasting. I was prayerfully 
reflecting on my words and I was in prayer and I was communing with God all as I'm getting ready and suddenly I realized I wasn't listening to a speech. I was being preached to. We forget that he wasn't a public speaker. He was a preacher. He was a minister of the word. And that's what he was doing. He was preaching. And oftentimes people thought it was just rhetoric. It's not political rhetoric. It's the gospel. He's speaking out time and time again, referencing not only scripture from the Old Testament and the New, but just how radical and extreme Jesus Christ was. At one point, I had to stop what I was doing and getting ready. And I had to go and grab my laptop. And I looked up the letter that he wrote from the Birmingham jail. And he went down to Birmingham, Alabama. And there, what was supposed to be a peaceful demonstration, he was arrested and thrown into jail. And while he was there, he wrote by hand the longest letter he said he ever wrote. And his letter is a response to eight Caucasian clergy who protested against him being in Birmingham. The critique they offered was, you've come down here to agitate. This isn't your place. You shouldn't be here. You need to go home and care for your people. And his response back to them, and if you haven't read the letter, you should. Because there's nothing like Christians engaging in civil dialogue. The letter states, I am here because I was invited. I am here because I do believe that we can engage in conversation that will transform and liberate. I believe that the answer is not simply to become violent and hateful, but the answer is for us to model ourselves after the scriptures. And I am here in that capacity as a minister of Jesus Christ. And I have come here. And you say that I'm an extremist, but Jesus Christ was an extremist. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That is extreme. The Apostle Paul is an extremist. He said to his people, I bear on my body the marks of my ministry in the name of Jesus Christ. That was extreme. The prophet Amos was an extremist when he said, let justice roll down like water from heaven and righteousness like a stream. That our scriptures are about extremists. People who were so passionate and convicted about the power of God that they were willing to put their lives at stake for it. Many of the same people that he cited suffered and died. The prophets were persecuted. Jesus, our Messiah, massacred. And the Apostle Paul also martyred in the name of the gospel. And Martin Luther King Jr. is no different. His words, his approach, his refusal to cave into a society that was institutionally sinful. The corporate sins at that time were so oppressive when you listen to the I Have a Dream speech, he had transformed the mall in the capital of this country into an outdoor sanctuary. And he says over and over again, I have a dream. And people think, oh, that's beautiful. He has a dream. He's citing scripture. All of the people of God that had dreams, they dreamed dreams and they changed things. Joseph dreamed of a different future for his family. And when he preached that dream, his brothers conspired against him and sought to have him killed. 
So many prophets have dreams, and the people, God's people, turned against them and shunned them and persecuted them, ran them out of town, stoned them because they dared to dream dreams. Unless we forget that even Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, finds out about the birth of Jesus in a dream. Dreams are powerful and prophetic. Dreams are as biblical as you can get. And they scare people. When you start talking about, I have a dream, he's offering a prophetic witness. I have a dream where it's not about the color of your skin, but the content of your character. What could be more Christian? That it's not about the outward, but the change inside. The Apostle Paul in Galatians tells us, you have been cleansed in your baptism. You have been clothed with the, point of the appointments of Jesus Christ. Outwardly, no one should look at you the same. Because inwardly, Christ and the Holy Spirit dwell within your being. So how can we, as just disciples, look at someone else and not see Jesus? How can we not love them? How can we hurt them? with our attitudes and our words, our laws, and our culture. He rejected this. And not only did he reject it, but he gave the gift of his voice, his prophetic power, his presence, and his ministry to those who were willing to object to the suffering alongside him. And so he went places. He went places because he was invited. He went places because he was called. And I would dare say that he went places because God sent him. And the United Methodist Church affirms this by recognizing that he was murdered for his willingness to be a faith leader and speak out on this. The tragedy is that just several months before the formation of the United Methodist Church in 1968, he was murdered, standing on a balcony, gathered together with those who were preparing to lead yet another nonviolent demonstration. He was murdered. He was assassinated. And when they killed him, they thought they had silenced him. Over and over again, history tells us that people miscalculate the power and the presence of the word of God. They think it's only in your ability to speak. But there's a song we sing all the time at 930 that says, if I had no voice, if I had no tongue, I would dance for you like the rising sun. We will not be silenced because the gospel of Jesus Christ is more than words. It is who we are. It is our love. It is our ministry. It is our mission. It is the mission work that we do in acts of kindness and mercy the gospel need only been spoken when all else fails because it is ultimately what we live. And the world was so petrified of that that he was killed. And there's all kinds of debate over whether it was a lone gunman, was it the man that they arrested and tried and convicted and ultimately sent to prison who died there, or was it somebody else? But at the end of the day, I know one thing for sure, and that is human sin killed the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Whether it was one person or a conspiracy of many, that human sin hated what he was doing because he was making Galatians real. 
And as we are preparing ourselves for Christmas, we are confronting once more that the gospel is true. We're not just getting ready to have a birthday party for a little baby that happened to be born in a barn. We're celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior. And we're practicing. We're actually getting the children to become excited and practice because we know, we proclaim not only with our words and our lips, but our lives that Christ is coming back. We haven't been left here. We have not been abandoned while Christ enjoys heaven. Jesus is coming back. And Advent and Christmas is when we practice that joy. And we, as the adults of the church, have an opportunity to say to ourselves, what was begun in St. Stephen and Joan of Arc and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., that will continue in us, not in the hopes that we shall die for our faith, but that others shall live. That what we have accomplished because of our mission work, because of our willingness to come together and form the body of Christ here in Crozet, will make a difference. So that one day, the next generation of children will read this and they'll see that there is no division, that there is no Jew or Greek, there is no slave or free, there is no male and female, there is no black or white, there is no Republican or Democrat, there is no old Crozet or new Crozet. That we are all one in Jesus Christ. And the youth will look at us and go, duh. It took you this long to figure that out? No. It's taken us this long to live it out. And we, as the body of Christ, in Crozet, have a duty to go on to perfection. To strive every day to get better. To raise someone up to encourage someone, to edify them, to invite them in to this gift that we know of as the church. God has not continuously poured out grace upon grace, blessing upon blessing, power and authority through the Holy Spirit, and gave of God's self in Jesus Christ upon the cross so that we could feel warm and fuzzy and have personal happiness. God did all of this so that heaven would come on earth. And for years, Christians said that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But we didn't live that. We didn't live like we really believed that the kingdom was here. And so until the day comes when every single one of us in Crozet wakes up and goes, surely this must be heaven. We have work to do. May we be inspired, may we be challenged and committed, not only by those who have given of themselves to the fullest extent, like the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., but might the Holy Spirit hold us accountable as well. And the Holy Spirit in one another, edify us and encourage us and challenge us to do better today. Because Crozet deserves a body of Christ that makes them hunger for Jesus Christ. It deserves a place where they know that here there is no separation and division. Here all are loved. Here we all come and bask in the presence of God Almighty because God loves each and every one of us that much and has not abandoned us to our sinful state but continually pours out all the grace that we need because we are truly people who know what a gift it is to be forgiven, loved, and free. And we will never deny another person that touch of divinity.
May this be who we become day by day, united, committed, and inspired by the same gospel that brought us incredible disciples like the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.